Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Masterpiece series and is entitled Second Mile Faith. We hope you enjoy. Um, thank you for joining us. My name's Will. If you're joining us online and you don't know who we are, I'm Will. I'm one of the pastors. We're glad that you're here. We're um, finishing up, or we're not finishing up, but sorry, we're kind of, we're closing the bookend of an important section of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount today. And that is in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to finish that chapter up. So if you want to pull out your iPhones or your droids or whatever, droids for Jesus, droids for disciples, is that right? Whatever. Um, if you want to find your iPhones, your Bibles, open up Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 38 through 48 today. Uh, did you guys know, have you ever heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome? You ever heard that? You know where it came from? You know, like its origin? It's pretty interesting. Uh, actually, in the Roman Empire, every road literally did lead to Rome. Like it was a strategic way in which they established when they conquered a land outside of themselves they built one road to Rome and so that way like conquered areas couldn't really communicate well with each other you know they couldn't make travel in between the different sections and then raise up and fight the empire and so they literally made every road lead to the hub of Rome and on every one of those roads there was a marker every mile there was a a marker every mile and it had two numbers on it you know what the two numbers were number were the number of miles to Rome and the number of miles from the village you just left, right? And a, a Roman mile was a thousand paces. So it was a little shorter than our mile today. It was, it was actually a lot shorter than our mile today, about a couple hundred yards. But um, it's, it was a thousand Roman paces. And every Jewish person knew a Roman mile. Everyone. Because the Romans had what to the Jews? They'd conquered them, right? They were, in, they were living in Jerusalem. They had, they had taken over power. Jerusalem was a conquered province of Rome. And so every Roman, especially every Roman male, knew what a thousand paces were. And we're going to find that out today, okay? Uh, today's text, Jesus is going to give us a passing reference to this a thousand paces, this Roman mile. And everybody in his audience heard it, and some of them got really angry, and some of them probably got up and left as soon as Jesus said it. Some of them, their jaws dropped in shock at what Jesus was referring to. And maybe today, that, when, I, when, I, when we finish this message, you might have that same reaction. Either you're going to get angry, and you're like, that's not fair, I'm not going to do this, and you might get up and leave. Not literally, but maybe in your heart, and your mind, or you, your jaws might drop. Um, but this is the teaching of Jesus. It's pretty cool. And there was a Roman edict that, that every conquered male uh, in any conquered province at any time could be commanded by a Roman soldier to carry their burden for one mile. Right, 1,000 paces. And carry the burden in their pack. That's what they called their backpack with all their extra gear on it. So it wasn't their sword and their shield, but their cooking equipment, their sleeping equipment, their tents, everything else they had on their backpack, they were supposed to carry it. And at any time, a soldier could look at you and say, carry my burden. And if you refused, I'm not exactly sure what the consequence was, but knowing the Romans, it probably wasn't a stern talking to. Right? I mean, more than likely it was death or a good beating or something. Maybe even a crucifixion. But at the end of the day... Every Jewish male had to pick up that pack and walk a thousand paces. And they had no choice in it because they were conquered. They were slaves. They were enslaved to the Romans. So that naturally would build up a little resentment, don't you think, towards the people who are oppressing you, right? If at any time they could say, stop what you're doing and carry my backpack for a thousand paces. Yeah, a little bit of resentment. Uh, One commentator said that it was such a prevalent thing in in Jerusalem, in first century Jerusalem, to... 
that every young male would have a thousand paces marked off in every direction from their home. So they knew exactly how far they had to go. And they would carry their pack for one mile and then drop it. And the Roman soldier, by law, could not tell them to carry it another mile. They had to stop right there. They could find somebody else and tell them to carry it for a Roman mile. But once you did your mile, you were done. You had completed the law. Everybody was satisfied. You were ticked off. You had to walk back another mile and finish doing whatever you were doing. But that's how it worked. Hatred for the Romans, it just was another cog in the wheel you know, of, of all the bitterness that had developed of, between first century Jews and the Romans. And Jesus communicated this, uh, because of this bitterness developed, a legalistic mentality developed, right? I will go as far as I have to, but not any further. And then you had the Pharisees living in legalism, and so they were teaching a legalistic mindset. So the people of Jerusalem lived in legalism in a lot of ways. They lived with the mentality of, I live by the law, and I will not go a step further. And Jesus was speaking to this, right? In the Sermon on the Mount last week, we heard him talk about the law versus the heart of the law, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you, right? Remember that? He said, this is the law you live by. This is the one you believe in and you you subject yourself to. But I say to you, there's a heart behind it that's way more important. Two weeks ago, we talked about being aware of the snare of religion, right? We talked about being aware of the snare, that um, Jesus is way more interested in a relationship with us than us to have strict obedience to a law that we can never fulfill in the first place. Uh, Jesus came to save us and save our hearts. We learned about that last week, right? We looked at how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. He was Messiah. He was the perfect Messiah because not only did he fulfill the Old Testament, he also fulfilled the, the Mosaic law, right? He kept every law. Not even a single iota from the law would pass before he was completed his work. So God wasn't looking for legal responses from his, the crown of his creation, from his people, right? God was looking for their heart, a heart of love and, and response and worship. That's what he was looking for. But what he was getting was legalism. So Jesus came to address that. Remember the, the verse uh, in verse 25, 20, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees? You remember that? Like this is the bookends. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And then there's this entire discourse about the law that we looked at yesterday about how Christ came to fulfill the law not yesterday, last week, fulfill the law and then, and then show the heart of the law and then it ends with verse 48 right? verse 48, therefore you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect in between this bookend, last week we looked through the lens of relationships, remember that? we said because we have we have lots of relationships, we have lots of problems and because we have a broken heart our relationships fall apart. And last week we talked about how when Messiah comes, Micaiah comes to save our heart. He gives us a new mind, right, and a new will. That's what the heart is in, in the, the Jewish mindset, mind and will. And so he gives us the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. And so therefore we look at people differently. We look at our husbands and our wives. We look at our, our children and our coworkers and our friends, our family members. We look through the lens of the gospel differently when we have the mind of Christ. And as we mature ourselves through the Word and through being obedient to the Spirit, we become more like Christ in those relationships. Remember last week I said, but hold on, there's one more relationship, right? There's one more relationship. And that relationship is that second mile relationship. It's that when, when the Romans, uh, here's the reference. If someone asks you to go a mile, go with them too, right? We'll get to that in just a second. But Jesus is asking of us to live in a second mile mentality. Right? The first mile is legal. The second mile is love. The first mile, you're a slave. 
The second mile, you're a bearer of the gospel. Jesus is calling us to live in a second mile relationship. Let's look at Matthew 5, 38 through 48. And we're going to break it down slowly as we go and we're going to see what that means. Okay? You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What Jesus is calling us to is we're going to call second mile faith. Second mile faith. Second mile faith leads us into difficult relationships. That's what this first text says. You've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. You've heard it said equal justice for equal wrongs, right? This is what you've heard. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. That's the response. Don't seek the justice. Don't push somebody at arm's length away from you. Pursue them with relationship. Right? And we learned about that last week. If someone insults you, the Jewish insult was right hand, right cheek. Backslap. Right? I'm done with you. That was if someone smacked you on the right cheek. It doesn't say right cheek in the text. Right? It doesn't say it just smacks you on the cheek. On the right cheek. This is the son of insult. Backhand slap. Someone smacked you on the right cheek. Turn to him the other. And what did that mean? Be willing to forgive them. Be willing to pursue a relationship with them. Right? Even though they have insulted you, and hope for the relationship. Give them the opportunity for more relationship. To greet you again and to come back into a relationship with you. So it's not continuously be abused. That's not what that means. It means hope that you can restore. Don't resist them. Pursue them. And pursue them for their good. So it goes beyond just pursue them. It's pursue them for their good after they've insulted you. After they've tried to break a relationship with you or be evil towards you, pursue them for their good. Jesus gives us examples of this evil one in this text, right? If someone insults you, forgive them. If someone sues you for your coat, how petty is that? Right? Give me your coat. I'm taking you to court for your coat. They probably need your coat. And they probably need your shirt also, right? If, they, if they're going to sue you for their coat, they probably need your shirt. So, I mean, Jesus is saying, don't just pursue them. Pursue them for their good. Give them your coat. And give them your shirt. Right? That's tunic and cloak. Coat and shirt. If someone forces you to go a mile, go with them a second mile. Now, remember, the illustration to every Jew that heard this was, stinking Romans. Right? And they, and they immediately thought, the worst of the worst people on the face of the planet tell me to go a mile. You've got to be joking, Jesus. You've lost your ever-loving mind. If you want me to pick up the pack and carry it another mile out of my own will, I guarantee you there were people that their anger level increased when Jesus said, when someone tells you to go a mile, go with them two miles. They're, they're feeling of bitterness. They're feeling of justice. They're feeling of rage. It just started to raise up in their heart. And Jesus said, go with them two miles. If you, if you want to live like I'm calling you to live, the second mile is where love is. The first mile, you're a slave. The second mile, you're free. The first mile is the law. The second mile is the love. That's what second mile faith is. It means Jesus is not telling people to just obey the law with smiles on their face. To complete what they have to by obligation. Jesus is saying, actively work for the good of those who are against you. Actively work for the good of those who are against you. That's hard, right? 
And maybe like I said in, in the introduction, some of you are getting mad right now. You're like, that's not true. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not actively working for the good of those who are against me. But that's what Jesus is saying when he says, go the second mile. Actively work for the good of those who are at odds with you. Not out of obligation to rule, but out of response for concern for those who are against you. Notice he says, it doesn't say if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his burden. It says if anyone asks you to go a mile. If your wife asks you to go an extra mile, go. If your husband asks you to go an extra mile. If your kids, if your coworkers, if your neighbors, if anyone asks you to go a mile, go with them too. If anyone sues you for their cloak, give them your shirt too. To love your neighbor, first mile. To love your enemy, second mile. To bless those who bless you, first mile. To bless those who curse you, second mile. To do good to those who do good to you, first. To do good to those who hate you and oppress you, second. Pray for those who pray for you, it's the first mile. Pray for those who are against you, who despise you, this is the second mile. We're called to live in a second mile faith. Kind of an example of this is um, there was a news story way back in the day of a, a father whose son was killed by a gang member, a young guy. He was like 16. He killed his 14-year-old his son. And the father was angry. So the father pursued justice like a mamma jamma. And that kid got, you know, life in prison. You know, but I mean, and so he goes to juvie prison until he's 18 and then he gets put in maximum security for the rest of his life basically right and uh and they pursued everything they could but then the father was saved by grace through faith he became a christian and he looked at um and he had so much anger and so much bitterness and so much just hatred for this kid that had taken his son and he was convicted by it so he started going and praying for this kid in prison he started going and visiting the 16 year old that killed his son in prison and as he visited him, the 16-year-old had nothing to do with him, right? I mean, he would, like, show up every once in a while, pick up the phone, screw you, hang up the phone, and walk away, you know. And he just kept coming back to the prison, and he would pray for him. And he kept trying to share the gospel. Eventually, the kids started listening to him. He's like, why are you pursuing me? You have, you have, I killed your son. Why are you pursuing me? And he said, because Christ pursued me. And so he kept pursuing him, and he kept pursuing him. And eventually, the kid uh, was released. He served his 20 years and released and the father was the one that picked him up from prison and brought him to his house and became like a mentor to him and, and helped redeem his life, right? I mean, was working for the good of the one who had oppressed him and persecuted him. It's crazy. But that's the second mile, right? The people who hate you, who, who come at you, who oppress you, to love them, that's the second mile. It's only possible through the gospel. We can't stop at last week's message. We can't stop with love our neighbors, love our wives, love our kids, and let God redeem our hearts so we can love them better. We've got to go through the second mile. Now we've got to love our enemy, right? Jesus is calling us to a second mile love, a love with those who are opposed to us, who insult us, who lash out to hurt us. So here's something you can do. When, when you're looking at these people and you're, these people are oppressing you or they're, you're, they're against you, they're opposed to you, stop for a second and ask a couple questions. Ask these questions. Does this person need my prayer? They need me to pray for them. Obviously, they're, per they're persecuting you. <laughs> they need you to pray for them, right? Do they need my prayers? Do they need my sympathy? What's, what's going home behind the hate that's causing them to lash out at me? Right? Do they need my sympathy? 
Did they need my understanding and my compassion? Did they need my patience? And ultimately, do they need the good news that I possess? They need the gospel. Ask those questions. They need my prayers, my sympathy, my understanding, my patience, and the gospel. Verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. Interesting point. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, hate your enemy. Right? But Jesus is talking to his audience. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the law of God does it say, hate your enemy. Now, by the time the Pharisees had had their way in taking the law of God and added, you know, 643 other laws, it probably was understood, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so it was a common thing, so that's why Jesus is addressing it. And they probably get it from, like, Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6, or um, Psalms 139, 21. You know, I will oppose those who oppose you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. When God was talking like that. So when he's, when he's saying that, they probably took it and said, okay, fine, if you curse me, I'm cursing you back. They took the role of God, right? They put themselves on the throne of God and decided to enact their own justice. So they, they came to an understanding of love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor's in there. That's Leviticus 19.18, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you go the gospel mile with your enemy? How do you go that second mile, that gospel mile with your enemy? You go via the power of the good news. The first, mile you're, the first mile you're a slave, the second mile you're a bearer of the good news. It's Christ working you. Listen to this. If you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, you will be like what? You'll be like Jesus, right? But what does the text literally say? So you may be like your father who is in heaven. Father who is in heaven. Now, sons typically act like their fathers, right? I mean, eventually they grow up and they like emulate their dads. Like, you always say, I'm never going to be like that guy. And then, like, you grow up and you're like, I'm just like that guy. You know, like, so sons usually emulate their dads. Do we know a son who emulated their father and how he loved their enemies and prayed for those who persecuted him? Yeah. Of course we do. It's Jesus. It's the gospel, right? Romans 5, 6-11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He loved the enemies. For the... For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to even die. But God shows his love for us while that way we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more, how much more, sorry, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were once reconciled to God by the death of his son, by the death of his son, much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the gospel message right there. The Father had enemies to His holiness. Us, you, me, we are His enemies. And He chose to love His enemies by sending His Son to love His enemies, right? And then we see loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you all through Christ's life, right? Who did Christ pursue? The worst of the worst sinners, right? The ones who gave the greatest offense to his holiness, he pursued and had dinner with. He loved those who were his enemies, and he prayed for those who persecuted him. Think about it. The ones who punched him in the face and put the crown deep into his skull and then spit on him and took his clothes and split him up. And then as he was hanging on the cross, they hurled insults at him. What did he say? 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed for those who were persecuting them. Jesus is the perfect example of, of, of what it means to uh, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be like your Father who is in heaven. We see it on this side of the cross, right? The Jews didn't see it on that side of the cross. They didn't know the cross was coming. They were sitting there listening to this guy saying, I'm supposed to be like my Father who is heaven, who prayed, loves and prays. I don't get it. We look on this side of the cross and we say, oh, he was standing right there and saying, hey, check it out. This is what I'm doing. I'm loving you even though you're my enemy. I'm praying for you. He constantly prayed, right? He went across, he went apart and he prayed. He prayed for his disciples who were enemies to his holiness, even though they were his friends on earth. Prayed for those who persecuted you. That's the gospel. God's sacrificial love by sending his son is the full payment of our sin debt and adopting us into his family. That's what it means to go the second mile. That's what second mile faith is. Um, his, his son loved us. His son moved for us. That's second mile in it. So what's the application? To love your enemies is to be the gospel to them. To love your enemies is to be the gospel. Not just to speak the gospel, but to be the gospel. Be good news to them. Challenge them with your prayers. Challenge them with your compassion. Challenge them by eating dinner with them. You know, like, pursue them in relationships like Jesus did. That's second mile in it. I like saying second mile in because it's not a word. And every time I typed it in, it came up with that red line. And it was like, that's not a word. And I was like, yes, it is. It's a word now. Second mile in it. Right? It's to be. Or that. <laughs> it is a sacrifice for them. It's to help them see that they're loved by a king. It's literally to illustrate the pursuit of Christ for them. Right? By you pursuing your enemies, you are illustrating their value to the king because you are an ambassador of the king. So you are illustrating God's love for them as you pursue them and love them. That's what it means to live in the second mile. So this kind of love, this second mile faith, it's only possible if you've come to understand one thing. One thing is the key to all this. If you don't get this, you'll never live in the second mile. You'll never live in the second mile if you don't get this one thing. You've got to get grace. You've got to understand grace. Because grace is the only reason you would pursue an enemy. That's it. Right? Second mile, second mile faith leads you to being vessels of grace. Verse 45 through 48. Or 47. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain to the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collector do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do the same. Sun, rain, those are references to common grace. Right? God gives His common grace, His, His, His common favor to sinners and righteous alike. Right? I mean, He doesn't withhold rain from the sinners and then and pour rain on, on the, the righteous people. Right? Rain falls on everyone. The sun shines for everyone. Food and provision, God's grace and provision in life come to everyone, regardless of where they stand. That's common grace. But gospel grace is a grace that saves. And if you want to walk in the second mile, you've got to get gospel grace. And that is, you have done nothing to deserve God's love for you. So why would you expect your enemies to do anything to deserve your love from, them, from you? Right? It, you, you have done nothing to deserve God's love. You are an enemy of God. You were hostile to him, and he gave his son for you. Why do, we, why do we take that grace and say, thank you, Jesus, and praise him, and then look at our enemies and say, when you get your act together, 
Then I'll pursue you in a relationship. Then I'll love you. You can't give what you haven't gotten. So you've got to get grace before you can pursue people with grace and be vessels of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Right? That's the best way to say it. Grace is unmerited favor. They do nothing to deserve it, yet you pursue them in love. And if we don't, if we only pursue those who love us, we're just like evil people and Gentiles, right? I mean, according to this text. We're no different. We're not any different than the world. I mean, it says tax collectors love tax collectors. Sinners love sinners. Gentiles love Gentiles. Brothers love brothers. There's no difference in Christianity and the rest of the world if we don't pursue our enemies with grace. That's what sets us apart, the second mile. The first mile, you're a slave to the law. Second mile, you're a vessel of grace. To the degree that you realize the grace given to you, you will give such grace. In other words, you can't give what you haven't got. And let us not forget that we all need grace. Verse 48. Therefore, be perfect as your Father is perfect. We have no hope of being perfect. And if we have no grace given to us, there is no righteousness. There is no hope. There is no heaven. There is no relationship restored. There is no redemption. There is no reconciliation. If it's not for grace. We can't be perfect on our own. But when we receive grace and we live through the lens of the gospel, we can pursue our enemies. We can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us in the second mile. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge to live in the second mile. That's, it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard concept to, to pursue people who are against you. And, uh, and it comes with bruises. It comes with emotional scars. Um, they pale in comparison to what you were scarred and how you were bruised on the cross for us. So, God, give us the courage to walk in the second mile. Who is it in our lives? In what situation are we calling someone an enemy or opposed to us? And Spirit, how will you lead us to pursue them with love, with, with gospel love, with, as vessels of gospel grace? How can we be the good news? How can we illustrate your love for them in the way we pursue them today, Father? I pray that in each person's mind right now, you would, you would bring up a, a face, a name, a person who we consider our enemy. And that uh, it's crazy. I, I know I, I can only imagine that people who listen to this, the large crowd that was gathered, as soon as you said, if someone forces you to go the first mile, go with them the second, people got up and left. I bet you people got up and left, Father, because they just couldn't do it. They, they could not hear that. But, Father, we, are, we have received grace. Let us live in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode in the Masterpiece series. If you want to listen to other podcasts or check out more about our church, please visit www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RestorationDCH.